Hello, welcome to the second episode. Amy Elliott, January 8, 2005. Diary entry. Trala, I'm smiling a big adopted orphan smile. As I write this, I'm embarrassed at how happy I am. Some technical or comic of a teenage girl talking on the phone with my hair in a ponytail, the bubble above my head saying, but I did. This is a technical empirical truth. I met a boy. Great, gorgeous dude. A funny, cool ass guy. Let me set the scene. Because it deserves setting posterity. No, please, I'm not that far gone. Posterity. Ah. But still, it's not New Year's. But still, very much the New Year. It's winter. Early dark, freezing cold. Carmen. A newish friend, semi friend, barely a friend, the kind of friend you can't cancel on, has talked me into going out to Brooklyn to one of her writer's parties. Now I like a writer party. I like writers. I'm the child of writer. I'm a writer. I still love scribbling that word writer any time I form questionnaire documents where they ask my occupation. Fine, I write personality quizzes. I don't write about the great issues of the day. But I think it's fair to say I am a writer. I'm using this journal to get better, to hone my skills, to collect details and observations, to show don't tell and all that other writery crap. But really, I do think my quizzes alone qualify me on at least an honorary basis, right? At a party, you find yourself surrounded by genuine talented writers, employed at high-profile, respected newspapers and magazines. You merely write quizzes for women's rights. Where someone else asks, what do you do for a living? You A. Get embarrassed and say, I am a... Just a quiz writer, it's a silly stuff. B. Go on the offense. I'm a writer now, but I'm considering something more challenging and worthwhile. Why? What do you do? C. Take pride in accomplishments. I write personality quizzes using the knowledge gleaned from my master's degree in psychology. Oh, and a fun fact I'm the inspiration for a beloved children's book series. I'm sure you know it. Amazing Amy. Yeah, so suck it, snob douche. Answer is C. Totally C. Anyway, the party is being thrown by one of Carmen's good friends who writes about movies for a movie magazine and is very funny. According to Carmen. I worry for a second that she wants to set us up. I'm not interested in being set up. I need to be ambushed, caught unawares like some sort of feral love jackal. I'm too self-conscious otherwise. I feel myself trying to be charming and then I realize I'm obviously trying to be charming and then I try to be even more charming to make up for the fake charm. And then I'm basically turning to Lisa Minnelli. I'm dancing in tights and sequins, begging you to love me. There's a bowler and jazz hands and lots of things. But no, I realize as Carmen gushes on about her friend, she likes him. Good. 
We climb three flights of barbed stairs and walk into a whoosh body of heat and rightness. Many black framed glasses and mops of hair, fox western shirts and heathery turtlenecks, black wool pea coats flopped all across the couch, puddling to the floor. A German poster for the getaway, covering one paint cracked wall. Franz Ferdinand on the studio take me out. A clump of guys hovers near a card table where all the alcohol is set up, tipping more booze into their cups after every few all too aware of how little is left to go around. I nudge him, aiming my plastic cup in the center like a busker, get a clatter of ice cubes and splash of vodka from a sweet-faced guy wearing a space invaders t-shirt. A lethal-looking bottle of green apple liquor, the host's ironic purchase will soon be our fate unless someone else makes a booze run. And that seems unlikely, as everyone clearly believes they made the run last time. It is a January party, definitely. Everyone still clutched and sugar-pissed from the holidays, lazy and irritated simultaneously. A party where people drink too much and pick cleverly worded vice, blowing cigarette smoke out an open window even after the host asked them to go outside. We have already talked to no other at a thousand holiday parties. We have nothing left to say. We are collectively bored, but we don't want to go back into January cold. Our bones still ache from the subway steps. I have lost Carmen to her host view. They are having an intense discussion in a corner of the kitchen, the two of them hunching their shoulders, their faces towards each other, the shape of their heart. Good. I think about eating to give myself something to do besides standing in the center of the room, smiling like the new kid in the lunchroom. But almost everything is gone. Some potato chip shards sit in the bottom of the giant Tupperware bowl. A supermarket deli tray full of whole wheat carrots and gnarled celery and a skinny dip sits untouched on a coffee table. Cigarettes littered throughout like bonus vegetable sticks. I'm doing my thing, my impulse thing. What if I leaped on the theater balcony right now? What if I tongue the homeless man across from me on the subway? What if I sit down on the floor of this party by myself and eat everything on that delivery, including the cigarettes? Please don't any, eat anything in that area, he says. It is him. But I don't yet know it is him. I know it's a guy who will talk to me. He wears his cockiness like an ironic t-shirt. But it fits him better. He is the kind of guy who carries himself like a gets light a lot. A guy who likes women, a guy who could actually me properly. But I'd like to be properly. My dating life seems to be rotating around three types of men. Preppy Ivy Leaguers who believe their characters in Pitts Carl's novel. Slick Wall Streeters with money signs in their eyes ears, their mouth and sensitive smart boys who are so self-aware that everything feels like a joke. 
physical fellows tend to be ineffectively horny in bed a lot of noise and acrobatics to every little end the plans get turn rageful and flaccid smart like like they are composing a piece of piece of mold rack this hand strums around here and then this finger offers a space rotten sound quiet slutty don't that pause while i count how many 11 not bad i've always thought 12 was a solid reasonable number to end that seriously number 12 continues back way from the tree james has up to three other food items in his refrigerator i could make you an olive with mustard just one olive now just one olive too it is a line that is only a little funny but is already has a feel of an inside joke one that will get funnier with nostalgic repetition i think a year from now we will be walking along the brooklyn bridge at sunset and one of us will whisper just one or left on and we'll start to laugh mainly i will admit i smile because he's gorgeous distractingly gorgeous the kind of looks that make your eyes pin bleed that make you want to just adjust the elephant you know you're gorgeous right and move on with the conversation i bet dudes hate him you look like the rich boy villain in aj steen movie the one who bullies the sensitive misfit the one who will end up with the pipe in the bus the fact green building his upturned collar as everyone in the cafeteria cheers he doesn't act that way though his name is nick i love it it makes him seem nice and regular which he is when he tells me his name i say no that's a real name he brightens and reels off some like makes the kind of guy you can drink up your bed kind of guy who doesn't mind if you puke in his car neck he makes a series of awful puns i catch three fourths of his movie references two thirds maybe he refills my drink without me having to ask somehow ferreting out one last cup of the good stuff he has claimed me placed a flag on me i was here first she's mine It feels nice after my recent series of nervous respectful post feminist men to be a territory. He has a great smile, cat smile. He should cut out yellow tweety bird feathers the way he smiles at me. He doesn't ask what I do for a living, which is fine, which is a change. I'm a writer, did I mention? He talks to me in his river baby Missouri accent. He was born and raised outside of Hannibal, the boyhood home of Mark Twain, the inspiration of Tom Sawyer. He tells me he worked on a steamboat when he was a teenager, doing jazz for the tourists. And when I laugh, he informs me that Missouri 
is a magical place. The most beautiful in the world, no state more glorious. His eyes are mischievous, his lashes are long. I can see what he looked like as a boy. We share a taxi home. The street lights making dizzy shadows and the car speeding as if we are being chased. It is 1 a.m. When we hit one of the New York's unexplained deadlocks, 12 blocks from my apartment, so we slide out of the taxi into the cold, into the crate. What next? And Nick starts walking me home. His hand on the small of my back, our faces turned by chill. As we turn the corner, the local bakery is getting its powdered sugar delivered, funneled into the cellar by the barrel full as if it were cement. And we can see nothing but the shadows of delivery man in the white sweet cloud. The street is billowing and Nick pulls me close and smiles that smile again. And he takes a single lock of my hair between two fingers and runs them all the way to the end, tugging twice like he's ringing a bell. His eyelashes are trimmed with powder. And before he leans in, he brushes the sugar from my lips so he can taste 